You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be here with you. My name is Matt Nickerson, lead pastor at Kingsway. I want to welcome everybody at home watching online. If you're checking us out either now or down the road, we had over 3,000 people here last week on Easter. Yeah, it was awesome. And so if you were one of those and you came over, because I challenge you, give us five weeks. Maybe you're watching at home. You're like, all right, I'll give them a couple more weeks, see what happens. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm from Northeast Ohio. I'm finding I meet more and more people who aren't from Indiana originally. We all came from all over. Well, in Northeast Ohio, I was born in Zanesville, lived in Steubenville, and then raised in Akron, Ohio, which is just north of the great football hall of fame. See, and that's the reaction I expected to get because y'all are from Indiana. See, in football, or sorry, in Ohio, we love football. But in Indiana, y'all love basketball. I mean, everybody knows Indiana, way better than North Carolina, right? Way better than Kentucky. If you're going to have an audience, you might as well pander to them when it comes to basketball. But in Ohio, we do football. Now, what's ironic is where I grew up, I grew up near Akron U and Kent State and the Cleveland Browns, and none of them ever win. But I still grew up a football fan. So I love things like the NFL draft. Any of you NFL draft fans actually like watch this and follow this? Thank you for my five friends out there who are weird like me. I was in Kentucky this past weekend and my in-laws were like, I don't get it. What's the point of this thing? I'm like, what is wrong with you? This is like a man's data geek like, like party. Like this is glorious. Anyway. So the reason I'm saying all this is over the last 10 years, as I've been watching football like develop, and maybe basketball, college basketball is the same way. I'm not sure because I don't follow it as well. In football, I noticed that there's this tendency to give God credit for things that may or may not have anything to do with God whatsoever. Have you heard phrases like this before? Well, it must just be God's will. This can happen to a player who uh, just got fired from a team or just got traded because they were a problem at their other team, or maybe they broke a rule and they got fined, or maybe they did something illegal or abusive or wrong and then are like, well, God's got a plan in this. Have you heard this or seen this over and over and over again? You get drafted to a team or a round that you didn't think would happen, and here's the thing. like The reason I think we keep seeing it in the NFL and in college football is because I think it's permeated society. So most of us look at our life and we're all asking the same kinds of questions. Like, God, what is the reason for the things that are happening in my life? And we're all grasping for straws to try to figure out God. Well, what I want to do today is try to anchor a couple of small things for you today. And just to let you know up front, scholars, pastors, theologians, people who read God's word and study God, we've been talking about this stuff for hundreds, even thousands of years. And so I'm going to give you the final word today. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But I will give you a couple things that you can anchor your life to that are really important. And the first one, did you know that God created you for a purpose? Did you know that? And what exactly does that mean? Well, there's many passages that would deal with this. Let's just take a look at one real quick. Acts chapter 17 will be at verse 24. In Acts 17, Paul stands up in a Roman culture that is surrounded by many, 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 what we call pantheon of gods. You've got Zeus, the god of the thunder or lightning and whatever, and you've got Neptune, the god of the water, and you've got Diana and Athena, and just the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And they've all got temples for them. And he stands up in the midst of this culture, and he says this in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it 
is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. By the way, before we keep going, that is fantastic news for you today. Because for you to be able to anchor your heart to God, you have to accept and know up front, he doesn't need anything from you. Whatever you give back to God is not because he needs it. He's not incomplete. He's not bankrupt or poor in any way, emotionally, relationally, financially. He doesn't need anything from you to be whole and complete and perfect. And the big, big, big word we would use is infinite. He's infinitely kind and infinitely merciful and infinitely just and infinitely holy. And all those things mean something when we look at God. And what Paul is trying to get to them and what you have to get today is God doesn't need anything from you. And yet, keep reading. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Everything came from him to you. He is pouring out himself into you so that you get everything you need from him. From one man, that's Adam, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. This is what we would call the general will of God. Now, there's something called the general will of God, and then there's the specific will of God. The general will of God is this is true for all people in all places and all times. It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, rich or poor, young or old, this is true. God created the world. He made Adam. Then somehow, we don't have a lot of details on this, he laid out the boundaries. So he has placed you in your family and in your community and in your place in time for a very specific purpose. What is that? It's the next verse. Verse 27. God did this so that they would seek So the general will of God for everybody in this room and everybody watching online is that you would seek after God. That's what he's looking for from you. But not just to seek after him. Perhaps even reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. God is always within arm's reach of whatever you're going through. See, as you listen to those football players or athletes of any sort, and they're saying things like this, they're almost always saying it in the midst of something confusing in life happening to them, some sort of pain or, or struggle. See, I'm going to guess many of you sat down at the end of 2018 or maybe the beginning of 2019, and you looked out over the next year, and you had a map of some sort, a plan, an idea in mind. Over this next year, we're going to go on these vacations. I'm going to try to accomplish these things. I need to improve on these projects. Maybe I'm going to take these classes, whatever it is, and I got a plan. And then what happens is life hits you in ways you did not have planned. And all of a sudden, when it does, the question is always this, where are you going to turn when life hits you different than that? And what I'm here to tell you today is that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. That comes right out of the book of Romans chapter 8. I think it's verse 28. And the point of that verse is not to say you don't have free will. God is upstairs playing a game of Monopoly and some of you get to go past go and collect $200 and others of you end up in jail. Stinks to be you. No, God is God. 
And he has created a universe where you make real decisions. You have real authority. You have real power. You have real influence. And your life really makes a difference. Your life makes a huge difference. Now, some lives may impact more people than others. But at the end of every day, your life means something. And God has placed you where he's placed you so that you would know him and love him and reach out to him and find him. And then it says, Paul writes, for in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, God has created you so that he could give you life. But apart from him, you're going to keep trying to find life in something or someone. I mean, you know this, right? You felt this. No matter where you are, right here, right at home right now, you have felt this in some way. You thought, if I could just experience that thing, if I could just buy that thing, if I could just do that thing, if I could just uh, whatever, marry that person, date that person, be with that person, if I could just hear them say, you're good enough, if I could just have them give me a raise, if they just pat me on the back, if, 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 then, then I'd be whole, then I'd be complete, then I'd be happy, then I'd be full of joy, and the reality is, you've had something just like it before, and it failed you. It didn't live up to it. That's why you bought a different house or a different car. It's why you found a different spouse. That's why you went and bought new shoes and new, new shoes and new, 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 new shoes. And you're like, stop it already. Because none of these things were meant to be God to us. But God made you to need him. So you're either gonna look for life and purpose and meaning in him or you're gonna look for it somewhere or something else. We have a little saying around here that we use, the Kingsway. We know that we are right where we need to be as it relates to God if we are becoming more like Christ. At the end of every day, at the end of every week, at the end of every month, at the end of every year, we simply can ask this one question. Are we more like Christ today than we were whatever the time and measurement we're looking at was before? And so I look at that personally, like, did I look more like Jesus at the end of 2018? Will I look more like Jesus so far in these first few months? And then collectively, we do this together as a church. How are we doing? How are we doing? How are we doing? Well, the reason we get this is we get this right out of God's word. What he wants to do is be life to us. And the way that he is life to us is he lives through us through the life of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, which we celebrated last week on Easter, what we celebrate is that now his life is alive in us. And John says it this way in 1 John chapter 2. He says, we know that we have come to know him if, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. The whole point there to what John is trying to say is there is this direct connect between how you live and how life goes. And if you're going to say, okay, I know that now everything I have comes from God, so therefore I'm going to live for God, therefore what happens is you are revealing to God and the world that you love him. But if you aren't, then you're revealing to the world that there's something else you love more. Which is why we just say at the end of every year, how are we doing? Do we look more like Jesus Christ today? So let me just stop and maybe ask you that question. 
How are you doing? Do you look more like Jesus Christ today than maybe a week ago or a month ago or a year ago? There's this little word here in this passage in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Put that back up there. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's the Greek word parapateo. Has nothing to do with a potato. Parapateo. And parapateo is two little words smashed together. And the best example I could give, maybe, and this is a bad example because I don't study Greek, I study English. It's my second language though, which is bad for you. Okay, like 10 of you found my jokes to be funny today. I'm struggling up here. Anyway, parapateo is two different words. It'd be like if I say the word homework. You know exactly what that means. You take the word home, you take the word work, you smash them together, and you get what? Stress. Exactly. You know, I got that. I got you finally. All right. You know exactly what the word applies. It doesn't matter if that's schoolwork or business work. You know what it means. Well, peri. And pateo is two separate words smashed together. And the word peri is, uh, is where we get the word to walk. And pateo is like in him. And the whole idea is, and it can mean different things in different contexts. The whole idea is we walk in him. We walk in the same way he walked. It can be used literally. Like in the book of Matthew, there's this word used. And it's used to describe a man who has never walked in his entire life. And then and also in Matthew, the same word is used, and it's used to describe the night that Peter is told by Jesus to get in a boat with some of the other disciples and head to the other side of the lake. Jesus says, I'll meet you there. So Jesus stays up all night on a mountain praying and talking to God. And in the middle of the night, he comes down the mountain and he starts to walk on the lake on the water. Now, as he gets closer, a storm has risen up and it's terrifying Peter and the disciples. But when he gets close enough, now they don't know if they're more afraid of the fact that there's a storm or the dude walking on the water toward them. And most of the people in the boat assume it's a ghost. Something in Peter goes, maybe God's up to something. And he says, Lord? And Jesus says, Peter? And he's like, if that's you, tell me to come to you and I'll get out on the water. And we're told that Peter parapetoed on the water, out to Jesus. What does it mean? Well, there's three things that I think this word has in common here. And if you're a man who's never walked before, you probably got some significant fear. But when Jesus healed the man, he began to walk. His fears were removed. Peter, in a boat, terrified. And when Jesus says, come and walk, Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water. Both have significant fear and yet both fears are overcome by Jesus. What's powerful about the Peter story is that as Peter walks out towards Jesus, we're told that the wind and the waves start to distract Peter from Jesus. What's going on is the fear of his situation is rising up bigger than the one that he's walking towards. He's parapeteoing, he's walking in the same way that Jesus is walking, and while he is, he's conquering. He's victorious. He's stinking standing on water. But as soon as he stops focusing on Jesus and he starts focusing on the world around him, he starts to sink. And we're told that in that moment, Jesus walks over and sticks out his hand and grabs Peter and pulls him up and puts him into the boat. 
Now, this is one of those stories of faith that just blows you away and you go, that is absolutely, if you're visiting with us today, I get it. I don't preach this and go, in my mind, this makes rational sense. I don't. I don't believe it because it makes rational sense. I believe it because when I read all these other stories in the Bible, and I know that these are logical men who realize how crazy this story sounds, they would have absolutely no reason. Like, guys, let's just leave that one out. But they don't leave it out because they were so profoundly impacted. They go, we must tell about what we saw and what we heard. But the reason Peter stopped walking in the same way Jesus walked is because he stopped focusing on Jesus. I see, the same is true for us. I don't know what brought you in here today, but maybe the fear of whatever you're dealing with is keeping you from God. Because see, Satan has this way of leveraging fear to attack us and hurt us and terrify us and make us stop focusing on Christ. And the moment that we do that, our lives become distracted from what they ultimately can be. Your greatest joy and happiness and fulfillment and victory in life is only found in him. It's in him that we live and move and find our being. It's him pouring himself into you as you pour yourself out into your family, into your neighbors, into your coworkers, into your schools. But if you disconnect that, then you are only pulling water out of an empty well. And sooner or later, that water runs out and you'll just start grabbing whatever muss, muss, I think that's a word, moss or mud or junk that you can find inside that well to give away. You might find some old standing water from something God did in you in the past, but the reality is you need fresh living water being poured into you on a regular basis as it just comes down over and over and over. This is why John is saying we live in the way that Jesus lived. Jesus gave up sleep once in a while to just stay up all night and talk to his father because he realized while he will be tired the next day and need a nap on a boat, he knows that everything he gets good comes from God. So the more life gets stressful for Jesus, guess where we find Jesus? On his knees, drawing close, not running away, not blaming, not excusing, drawing close to his father. Do you look more like Jesus when times get tough and hard and frustrating and confusing and aren't making any sense? So there's two things that we learn. And those two things are this. Number one, we have to adopt the heart of Jesus. That's what it means to live like Jesus. See, when you adopt God's heart, it impacts the way you see the world. Remember, God doesn't need anything from you. He only wants to give to you whatever you need. So he's not looking to get anything back from you to make himself whole or complete. And so what we want to do is adopt his heart towards this world. Here at Kingsway, we have three words we use to describe that. We call them celebration, community, and compassion. Celebration means because we realize that God is the ultimate life giver and in him we live and move and have our being. We just gather weekly to worship him. 
And some of you, I know, you're sitting at home online, and the reason you stayed home, some of you, you're legit, like you're out of town, you're sick, but some of you stayed at home because you're terrified to maybe come in again, or I'm not sure I want to commit an hour, I'll just turn on the message at home where it's comfortable. But I'm telling you, we gather here in the body and celebrate him because he's worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of it. Like, this is a terrible analogy, terrible. Like, I don't know why I get paid to do what I do with the analogy I'm about to use, but the reason you all talk about Chick-fil-A is because it's the only fast food restaurant whose chicken is worthy. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Sorry if you own a Wendy's in town. Your spicy chicken's amazing, I'm not gonna lie. But the reason we show up at church and celebrate is not because God needs me to do this. It's because I need him. I want him to know I'm so thankful. I love him. Community. I don't know if you know this, but take a look at the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. No, seriously. If you don't know him, say, hey, what's up? Que pasa, my brother? Mis amigo. The reason that we gather together, like theology, like blow your mind here for a second, because you are the second incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get all high and mighty, all right? Don't be putting that on Facebook later. That means we. We are the second incarnation of Jesus Christ. Some of you don't know what incarnation means. Incarnation is the word that theologians have picked to describe that God stepped out of heaven and he came to earth as a man. And we believe that he was fully God and fully man while walking the earth. He wasn't special, divine, human. He was fully God, fully man. Meaning everything he went through, he went through in the same way that we go through it. All of his miracles were done by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside him so that when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he then offered us that same life. That same life came to us. So now that life, the Holy Spirit, is living inside us and we have the power. Jesus says, you will do greater things than I have. You're like, well, I've never seen me do anything greater than that. Well, maybe, just maybe, it's because you're not walking as Jesus walked. And compassion. It means we want to have God's heart towards this world. We don't look at evil and injustice and suffering and just go, man, that sucks. I'll pray for you. No, we look at evil and injustice and suffering in this world and we say, what can I do? Better yet, what can we do? This is why we partner with missionaries and organizations and ministries all over the world saying, what can we do? We can't do everything, but collectively, two billion Christians around the world could do a whole lot. But it takes all of us doing our part. So number one, we adopt the heart of God. But number two, we adapt then to the ways of God. And what that means when we say we adapt to the ways of God is then we evaluate our own life. We look at our own life and we say, God, how is it in light of your heart for this world, in light of your heart for us, in light of the fact that you want to give us everything we need to do your will, then God, how do I change my life? What needs to shift? What needs to go away? What do I need to start so that, God, I can look like you in this world? I can live like you in this world. That's why here at Kingsway we have four words. And look, there are a lot of ways, words, and things you could put under these words but you will find them in the seat in front of you. So if you're in the front row here, like whether it's here or there or up there, you won't find this. But right behind you, it exists. <laughs> and there are four cards there that tell you these four words. Connect. We want you to connect with God and others. Serve. We want you to plug into a ministry because the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give. 
and to invite. And what that means is we just pick these four words as ways to say, look, here's four very clear action items that we need to take as a body to say, this is how we adapt our lives so that we live like Jesus in the world. But I know what some of you are thinking. And the reason I know is not because I'm awesome, it's because I think it sometimes too. And that is this. But pastor, given what I've done, given what I'm tempted by, can God really use me? When God first called me to be the lead pastor of Kingsway Christian Church, one of my big wrestlings was, God, but what if I fail? And first, I had to resolve, God, what if I fail? Like, what if I sin? What if I embarrass your name? And then secondly, God, what if I, what if I just mess the whole thing up? It's like I ruined it, like the church falls apart. To the first one, God had to say to me, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. That even in your hour of need, I will be there. To the second one, he had to say, get over yourself, you're not that important. But I think John said it best in this way. Look at the verses right before what I just read you in John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody, anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, what are you afraid of? Maybe like the man in Matthew, you've never walked before. Maybe like Peter, it's because life is so scary that you are afraid. Afraid you won't have it in you, afraid you won't have enough energy, afraid you'll fail. But maybe like John, we just need to simply rest in the fact that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. He has placed you in your family, in your school, in your job for a purpose so that you will draw near to him, find him, and in doing so, find everything you need. If that's the case, what have you got to lose? When I was um, a young man in ministry in 19, 20 or so years old, there was a book that would come out. It had come out actually years before. It was called In His Steps. And a youth group, I think, I said Tennessee last service. It might have been Michigan. It was some state in the United States. That's helpful, right? There's only 50 or so of them. There was a group of kids who'd read the book in their youth group. And they came to this conclusion based out of the book, In His Steps, that this little four-letter acronym, do you remember this? Say it with me. W-W-J-D. And it stood for, what would Jesus do? And the point of that was they started making bracelets and t-shirts, and you've seen it around, and it was supposed to be their encouraging thing. In every situation, whatever's coming at me, what, what would Jesus do here? And I wanna do it. Well, I love this quote by a guy named Dan Spader who wrote the book, Four Chair Discipling. He says this, when in doubt, don't ask W-W-J-D. What would Jesus do? First, study to see W-D-D. JD, what did Jesus do? Jesus showed us how to live in a sin-soaked world, and he did it perfectly. Our ultimate goal is to become like him in every thought and deed. All right, question time. Ask yourself this. Where am I in my walk right now? 
And what do I need to do to become more like Christ? Do you know? Because here's the thing, I've been praying all morning. Holy Spirit, it's your job to convict the world of sin. Holy Spirit, it's your job to bring about righteousness. Holy Spirit, it's your job to comfort us, to counsel us, to coach us. So God, I need you to go in this room, stir in this place, move in our hearts, reveal your will to us. God, what is it you need us to do? And I get it, some of you are terrified to step into that. I don't know if I have more of me to give, but God's gonna give you everything you need. But I don't know if what I've done in the past is too great that God can use me, but we have an atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ. But I don't know enough, I get it, but there's a church body here who knows how to train you. You don't have to know everything you're ever gonna know. You only have to know what you know right now. So what do you need to do today to become more like Jesus. Because here's what I know. If you're waiting for a very specific moment in time for everything to get just right, you'll never get there. A few years ago, uh, I don't remember how long it was, I should say a few years ago, whatever it was. It was a while back. I had a conversation with a long-term member from Kingsway. She'd been here, I believe, if I remember correctly, she'd been here over four decades, been a long time. Loved Jesus. She grew up as a pastor's daughter. So she'd grown up in the church as part of the church her whole life. And we'd made some changes and she didn't like them. And she was being appropriate. She wasn't yelling or screaming or name calling, but she was just sharing with me her frustrations over some of the changes we made. And I said, I looked at the conversation. I said, look, I get it, I get it, I get it. And the church is changing and I get it. And it's not always easy. We don't always want it to change. I get it, I get it, I get it. But listen, You've got a great opportunity to jump in. You're a pastor's daughter. You've been at this church four decades. You have so much knowledge and wisdom and insight that you could use to pour out and give away to others. And she looked at me and she said, that's not what the church is for, for me. I said, what? I said, come on. I thought she was kidding. I said, come on. She said, no, the church is where I go to get poured into. I said, is that what Jesus said? Is that why Jesus died? Is that why Jesus rose from the dead? It's just to pour into you? A few years ago, my uh, family, my kids, had this idea. They wanted to um, plant some corn in our backyard. It's not these. But uh, so I went to Lowe's and I picked out some sweet corn. Now, I don't know if you know this. If you're a transplant to Indiana, you just wait till this fall. Woo! You have no idea. No other state has sweet corn, like Indiana sweet corn, amen? Yeah. Amen. Like every other state I go to, like, oh, no, no, our sweet corn's just as good. Mm-mm. Nope, either that or my wife makes it better than everybody else, I don't know. But the Indiana sweet corn is pretty amazing. And uh, so we decided to buy some. So I went to Lowe's and I bought a pack of sweet corn seeds. And I took them home and I set them on the counter. And I don't know anything about planting. And you will learn that in any illustration I use. And so I went online. Like, what do I do? How do I do it? What time do we do it? So we set it on the counter. And things kind of covered it up. And then it got close to the time and we forgot about it. And sure enough, like a week after the ideal time, I was like, oh, we've missed the planting time. Is it too late? So then we went to plant it and it was really rainy and we missed the opportunity to plant it. And so there we were in winter that year going, man, I really wish we'd have planted that like sweet corn, you know? So that'd been really nice. And so then I was like, well, maybe you could plant it next year. So my kids are homeschooled. I thought this would be great. It'd be like a science experiment. Like you have no idea. Like Indiana's great for homeschooling. It's been wonderful. We get to call it work for the day or school for the day. Anyway, so the next year came around and sure enough, it sat on the counter. We waited, we waited, we waited. The right moment came. Yeah, it was time. And, and it got covered up by some stuff and we forgot about it. And sure enough, that year we didn't get to plant it. Let me ask you a question. What good is a corn seed that never gets it in the ground? It's worthless. 
And your life is no different. God created you for a purpose, to become something. And you never let God plant you. You'll never become all that he has envisioned for you. Do you know what the irony of a seed is? There's this young girl, let me get her name right. In 2013, Danielle DeBrine, I think I'm saying her name right, as a part of an experiment, she planted three radishes. She put them in a bottle, she put a balloon on top of the bottle, and then she anchored them in water, submersed them. And what she found was the one went all the way down like seven feet deep, one somewhere in the middle, and one to the top of the water about four inches. And the goal was to create different amounts of pressure on the seed. She did the experiment multiple times and over a long period so that she could test her results over and over and over again. And what she found consistently in every test was that the seed that had the most pressure grew the most. Could it be that God's pressure in your life whether God led you to it or whether he's leading you through it, is God trying to grow you? So you running from the pain, you allowing the fear to control you is actually preventing you from becoming who God has created you to be. I don't know how this is exactly hitting each of you today, but I know this. Every moment in your life, we must choose God. We must choose to make him first in our heart, and our soul, in our mind, and in our strength. And when we do, leave the results up to God, what he does with it. And listen, that begins with an initial decision from you. A moment where you say, I'm gonna go all in with God. Here's my heart, God. Here's my life, God. So whether you're going through some sort of familial struggle or marriage tension or job stress or financial stress or maybe you're just chasing down the dream of life, making lots of money and progressing up a ladder and you're just realizing there's an emptiness in you, a hole in you, a need you have and you desperately need God, I just wanna call you right now to lay it all down Drop all that other stuff. Until God is the number one thing in your life, everything else will not have its place and you will be miserable. So what I wanna do is this. I was originally going to read this verse to you, these verses, but I decided I wanna instead pray these verses over you. So what I wanna ask you to do is, if you would, just close your eyes. If that bothers you, I don't care. They're gonna put the real verses up on the screen. I'm gonna change some of the words so that it's a prayer over you and you can just follow along, I don't care. But I wanna ask God to speak to you through this. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Heavenly Father, it's because of you that we kneel. God, it's from you that Every family in heaven and on earth finds its meaning and its purpose. So Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches, may you strengthen us with power through your spirit and our inner being. 
May you make Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. Father, I pray that all of us here, rooted and established in that love, may we find the power we need together with all of your people here at Kingsway, other great churches in our community, around this great nation, and even to the ends of the earth, God. Help us, Father, to grasp just how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. God, help us to know that love. It blows our minds. It surpasses all knowledge. And God, may we be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of yourself. You are infinite, God. Infinitely fill us that we would never run out of all that we need to do what you have planned to be who you've called us to be. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and all God's people say. Listen, I don't know where you are this morning, but I know this. This group right here is the second incarnation of Jesus Christ. We're his hands and his feet. His spirit lives in us. He's making us like himself. Whatever you came in here with, you don't have to be alone. At some point, you have to make a decision and say, I'm going in with God. You may have questions. You don't have answers. You may not even know the next step, and all of that is okay. We're ready to help you. We've got some people walk around in purple connect shirts. They're going to be down front, and we're all just going to sing and sing our hearts to God while we do that, if you're ready to respond to him, just come down and find one of them. You may just need prayer. You don't even know what you need. Just come down and say, help. Look, if you don't feel comfortable coming down, I get it. That could be really awkward. Then after the service, just go to our Connect Hub and say, help me figure out what to do next. What do I do next? We love you. I'm so honored to be your pastor. We'll see you next week.